This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to James chapter 5. And we are turning some corners here in this great study. And when we get to the end of the chapter, I've asked Brother David to teach on Wednesday nights for about 12 lessons. And uh, he's going to be doing that. It'll give me some diligent time to put into some preparation for our study in First Peter. And uh, we will be getting to that uh, in the Lord's timing. So I'd like for you now to look with me. We want to pick up tonight with verse number 11. And uh, this particular chapter has moved fairly quickly. And we are studying the element of something that each and every one of us struggle with on a day-to-day basis in some way or another, and that is the matter of patience. And that's what James has changed the direction from stewardship in the first six verses. And now he makes a dramatical shift to uh, this study on being patient. So I want to read this passage and uh, we'll get into the study tonight. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard from or heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. We're going to look at three phases of this verse as we study the word tonight. Now, if we're not careful, here's what I want to start with tonight in this study. If we're not careful in our patience, then it can cause us to respond in ways that we're not giving God the time nor the opportunity to work. I guess better said this way, if we're not willing to invest in patience, it could cause us to panic. When we panic in the upheaval times of our life, critical decision-making, pressed for issues, and the list could go on tonight. But when we respond to life's troubles and trials from a panicked point of view, I promise you we're going to make mistakes. We're going to displease the Lord, possibly lose a blessing here or there. James is very careful to articulate some very important words to us. And this particular passage of Scripture, when I was going over it in my heart and my mind, I wanted to take it from a reverse application. I want to start with the end of the passage, then get up to the middle part, and then go to the first part. And I think it's important because we cover a word here at the very end that I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on. I just want to give you the meaning and, and move on from that <clears throat> so I can spend more time with the uh, first part of this verse. But if you notice, 
this word pitiful. You see it on the screen here. I may get you to underline it in your scriptures here. Uh, that word is, is very important. Um, this, the cross reference that I have for this particular word is found in the Psalms. Psalms chapter 103. And uh, they will try to get that passage on the screen for us here. But the word in this context, in this passage of scripture, it means to be compassionate. Uh, it doesn't mean that the Lord looks down upon us or we to look down upon him, but the Lord is very pitiful. Connotation here is talking about the compassion of God. So when you understand the meaning and then you reread the scripture and you insert the word compassion Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and of tender mercy. That's what this means. He's very compassionate. I could spend all night, we could all stand and give testimony after testimony on the compassion of God, how he's truly been compassionate in our life. The fact that we're all here tonight is a very broad illustration of God's compassion. I don't know if you do this from time to time, but think about where you were when you were enlightened to the gospel, to the place where it pricked your heart, you knew you needed to be saved. I'm not talking about when you first went to church, your first church experience. I'm not talking about that. When you first were drawn by the Holy Spirit, you knew you needed to be saved. Think about the compassion of God that he had on the circumstance. Because the truth of the matter is every single one of us in here tonight could be somewhere else had it not been for the compassion, the mercy, the grace of God. And so the Lord being pitiful, that simply means that he is very compassionate. But when you go back the scripture says at the first part of this, you have heard of the patience of Job. I want to talk about that just for a moment. And the uh, middle statement here we're covering just a few minutes. But you have heard of the patience of Job. Every person in here, I think, as I look over the congregation tonight, I would say we're fairly familiar with his life. And, and familiar with the circumstances that he went through in his good times and in his bad times or his good times and his down times. Without question, we know that he was a remarkable person. In fact, the scriptures teach us that he was a man greatly loved by God. There's a couple of times in the scripture where the Holy Spirit inserts that kind of fragrance to scripture. For example, when the scriptures talk about John, the disciple, the scripture says that he, John, and Peter ran to the sepulcher. In fact, the, the word uses Peter first, Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
there's no doubt that the Lord had an amazing love. I'm not saying that he loved John more than the others, but the scripture went as far as to say the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I think that's for a reason. In another place, when the scriptures spoke of John the Baptist, Jesus said, there was none greater born of women than him. So these men in scripture, some of them have very good characteristics or marks of identification. As John was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved, John the Baptist, none greater born of women. Job, the scriptures teaches us that he was the most upright and just man on the face of the earth at the time. God greatly loved him. And uh, we know that not only did God greatly love Job, but God greatly blessed him. All of us know that. When I thought of, and I jotted some of these things down today in my preparation for tonight, Job was not only loved by God in a very devoted, passionate way, but and, and blessed of God. He was a very rich man, according to scriptures. And uh, the, the scripture says that he was increased with goods. This is all important because the word James does make illustration here, giving us the example of Job himself. So Job was very loved by God. He was very blessed by God. He, he was a very godly man in himself. But in one disastrous day, everything changed. Everything changed for him <clears throat> in the blink of an eye. Have you ever had a day where everything was moving smoothly, everything was sailing smoothly, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, everything changed. And instead of things going north, everything went south. In the blink of an eye, I think most of us can identify with periods of time in our life like that. That's exactly what happened to him. His whole world changed. He lost his wealth. He lost his children. He lost his good health. And he lost the health. I would say this. He lost the heart, the healthy heart of his wife. You put all of this together in the blink of an eye. His wealth, his children, his health, and the heart of his wife because it was her who ultimately said, listen, this is ridiculous. This is enough. Curse God and die. The most remarkable thing about Job in all of the story that we know about him was his patience. And that's what James calls our attention to in this particular verse. Job knew that no matter what, he could count on God. He could trust God. He knew God was just. I would like to say or think that God could trust us all the time, but he can't. He knows our fallacies. He knows our limitations. He knows our shortcomings. He knows us better than we know ourselves. 
But here's the thing. He knew that he could count on God. He knew that though God had given him this title, the just man, the righteous man, he he wasn't infallible. Only one person was infallible, and that was the Lord Jesus. But Job knew he, he could count on God. He could trust God. So let me ask you this. When we read this and we think about the stories that we know about Job, if Job was the most perfect person walking on the face of the earth at the time, we have to be careful with that word, not infallible. But if God considered him to be the most respected person on the earth at that time, then let's ask ourselves the question tonight as we study this. Why did God allow all of this stuff to happen to somebody like Job who had this kind of remarkable reputation? Have you ever contemplated that? I mean, we might find characters in the scripture and we say, well, I, I know why he or why I know why she got into this mess. But, you know, I don't really, I really don't understand why God did this to a person whom he said or allowed this stuff to happen to a person whom he said was the most perfect man upright in his day. Now you think about that. So why did all of this stuff happen to Job? Well, if we were going to ask Job himself that question, I don't know that he could give the answer. I don't know that he, he I'm sure he didn't understand it at the time. Just like we can be confident that Abraham didn't understand what God was doing with him and Isaac on Moriah. Job for sure didn't know. Yet you think about this. After the wealth was gone, after the children were gone, after his health was gone, and after the heart of his wife was gone, it was like one continuous blow after the other. He really couldn't even get himself positioned, postured straight up. He was being continually knocked down. It was like one wave after another just knocking him to the ground. Okay, so James is writing this. He uses Job for an example. But then James does something very unique in this passage. He draws our attention to a key phrase. And it's right in the middle of the verse. Look at this. And have seen the end of the Lord. Now, when I studied this, this blessed me. I pray momentarily it'll be a blessing to you. The end of the Lord. Maybe you won't even underline or highlight it if you have a marker in your Bible because this is one of the most wonderful things about the book of Job. And that is this. Out of all the horrible things that took place, we cannot even comprehend it. We can't imagine it. We would have been devastated after the first thing ready for the grave after the second thing, but it just continued to go on and on and on and on. But the most remarkable thing, the most wonderful thing about the book of Job is this, that it had a good 
ending. So this is what I want you to think about tonight as we study the word. Because James says, talking about the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord. Job was patient in all of this stuff. The story has a good ending. It had tons of dark days, terrible days. And most of us would have found every single escapade to be completely unbearable. Not only did Job have dark days, but this was something that jumped out of the scriptures to me. Because he had these things happening one after another, he had dark days. He did not know when it was going to end. Have you ever stepped back from a situation and you you said something like this? What else? What else could happen? In all of his calamity, he had no idea when all of this stuff was going to stop and cease. But because of his faithfulness, and this is, I think, what James is trying to bring to light here, because of his faithfulness now, because he waited it out, he kept trusting God, even though it was getting worse by the day. He kept trusting God. In the end, the Lord gave him double of what he had than when the story started. Now you think about that. That's the remarkable blessing of God. God had that in mind. Here's the thing. None of us are puppets. God's, God's not a ventriloquist. And God is not moving our mouth and making us walk and making decisions for us and and doing all of these robotic things. God, that's not how God treats us. That's not, he's given us a free will. All of us have a free will. We, we, can, we can go back to the free will thing all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So we're not puppets. God's not forcing us to do anything. But see, God knew what Job would do. And here's the remarkable thing. Just like God, I referred to Abraham. God knew Abraham's faith would take it all the way. God knew that. Here's the remarkable thing about this story of Job that James is drawing our attention to, and that's this. From the very beginning, what did God have in mind? Was God just feeling his way through this entire thing? Saying, well, because you remember, he gave the devil permission to inflict these catastrophic things upon his life. Only God said, but you cannot take his life. So God could see it falling like dominoes. But the thing is this. God could see the end of the story. Job couldn't. He didn't know why. 
He didn't know when this was going to stop. How could it get any worse for him? He didn't, he didn't know any of these things, but God from the very beginning knew that Job was this righteous, upright individual who would wait it out, who would pray it out. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's what he said. Blessed be the name of the Lord in all of his, in all of the troubles. God could see the end. It's one thing for us to say something. It's another thing for us to really mean it and stick by it. God could see the end. He knew Job was going to stick with it. So God saw the end in his mind from the very beginning. By the way, that's a beautiful picture of Romans 8.28. You're familiar with that scripture. And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God and who are the called according to his purpose. That's a perfect illustration for what these verses typify. Here's the thing. No doubt God wills that for us as well. He, he wants us to be patient. He wants us to stick it out, keeping in mind he sees the end from the beginning. And through it all, he, he knows what's at the other end. He wants us to trust him, to have faith and patience. It's a beautiful picture here in this passage, verse number 11. Let me move on to verse 12. Look at this. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest you fall into condemnation. That's sort of like, and I want you to turn here at this passage in James 5.12, right in the margin of your Bible, if you're accustomed to do that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37. This is sort of like a reiteration of a segment of the great Sermon on the Mount, and I want to read that for you here. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, and I want to read through verse number 37. Again, if you have a red letter edition in your Bible, these are the words of Jesus. In verse 33, again, you have heard it, that it hath been said of them of all time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shall thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, and nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. So in James, so that's what he's doing. He's giving you an excerpt of the great sermon on the Mount here, this portion. And so what this text is talking about is that we should be people of our word. It's been said that years ago that our, our signature 
was as good as our word and our word was good as our signature. That's the way that it should be. And I promise you this, I, I promise you this, that if I ever give you my word on something, you count it done. You count it done. Verse number 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. And so the word here for afflicted, again, if you're taking notes right in, your, in the margin of your Bible, this is talking about suffering hardship, difficulties, and it refers to those who are in trouble. And let me remind you that as long as we're in this world, we're going to be in enemy territory. Vulnerable. And because of that, we'll always have some kind of trouble going on in our life. But thank God, we don't have to deal with the trouble in our life alone. I like that old song that says, I won't have to cross Jordan alone. I'm glad I don't have to deal with stuff alone either. We have a pathway to the throne of grace. Paul said this in Romans chapter 8, verse number 31. If God be for us, who can be against us? That's a powerful scripture. Amen. Now, let's look at James 5.14 for a minute. I made some other notations here on this particular verse because uh, this, this is a, a scripture that would give us a lot of discussion for sure. But I want to read verse number 14 for you. I believe in this scripture. Uh, I, I believe in the miracle-working power of God. I believe God still works miracles. If he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, there is absolutely no problem with God doing anything he's ever done. And even if he hadn't done it, he can do it. So that's something that we need to remember. But in Psalms 514, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over them, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And we do this here in our church. We believe in the power of the scripture. All throughout the New Testament, we learn about, we read about the great healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are several verses I'd like to give you tonight about healing and what the scripture says about healing. And I'd like for you to write these scriptures down beside James 5, 14. Believe me, they will be beneficial to you at some point. If you know someone that's sick and needs encouragement, read these scriptures to them. They could be encouraging words to you yourself, uh, to a loved one, but I'm going to give you several. And you can write the reference down and we'll read them. They'll get them on the screen perhaps. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 9, verse number 35, and I'm going to give you probably about half a dozen or so more. But in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, just write the reference down beside James 5, 14. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Look at this. Healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Because let me assure you of something. After I give you all these scriptures on healing, the question is, 
Why doesn't God heal all sick people? Why does he miraculously work in some's life and chooses for whatever his reason was to discuss some of these reasons? Why would God work differently than others? Write these scriptures down. Luke chapter 6, verse number 19. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went out of him, there went virtue out of him, and look at this, and he healed them all. By the way, the word virtue means strength or power. You remember when the woman who had the issue of blood, she reached through the crowd. Jesus was walking with his disciples, and all of a sudden the woman stretched forth her hand and touched the hem of his garment. And you remember what he said? He said, who touched me? Because the word says virtue had left him strength. Had left him. All right. Write this scripture down. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Psalms 103, verse 3. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Psalms 147, verse 3. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. And Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes were healed. Let me give you a few more. Jeremiah 17, verse number 14. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. Jeremiah 30, verse 17, and I'll give you the first part of that scripture. For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord. Matthew chapter 8, verse number 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. I've just read for you James 5, 14 and 15. And so when I give you these scriptures, with all of these scriptures about healing, and this is just a thimble of them, the truth of the matter is this. With all of the scriptures about healing, we know that not everyone is healed. Not everyone is healed in this life. I would say probably every one of us tonight, to some degree, we deal with some type of pain, some type of discomfort. Up until recently, I was dealing with excruciating pain in my back. Most of you know I had just come out of my third back surgery. This last one was with two rods and six screws. I had gone through my home therapy. I had gone through the hospital therapy. I had gone to the pain management doctor, and they, long story short, they after several injections on both sides of my back, they were able to 
uh, cauterize two nerves on my right side and two nerves on my left side. And thank God it's night and day different. It's not well, but it's night and day different. I know what it's like to deal with that excruciatingly every single day. All of us, we could all talk about our pains. In fact, we could talk about it so much that if you weren't hurting by the end of this service, <laughs> you would be hurting. You, you'd have, it's contagious. You, you'd have it. You'd be walking out of here with back trouble for it's over with. But some of you, you, you deal with horrible pain. I was reading the other day about a man who was dying of lung cancer and he was full of bitterness. And someone was trying to minister to him and encourage him in the faith and help him along a little bit from the scriptures. And as they were quoting some of these scriptures that I was giving you tonight, he said he didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to hear about a God who would let people suffer in a horrible way. And he went on to say that he had turned himself against God and the Bible because he watched his mother painfully suffer, suffer herself to death, he said. But he told this man that he, who was witnessing to him, he said, now my mother was a devout Christian. She believed in all that stuff. She believed in God. She loved God with all of her heart, he said. In fact, he went on to say this. He said, my mother prayed every single day that God would heal her. And he looked into the eyes of those that were witnessing to him. And he said, my mother prayed every single day for God to heal her. And God didn't do it. And he was consumed with bitterness. And he said, because of that, he said, that has caused me to be an atheist. That has caused me to believe that they're really is not a God. And that God, if he does exist, he could not be a compassionate God that he was taught that God was. So this person ministering to this man, he said, well, let me ask you a question. He said, in, in all of your mother's personal suffering, he said, did she ever turn away from her faith? Did she ever turn away from God? Did she ever resist God like you have and like you're doing? He said, oh no. He said, she hurt in this life. She went out in eternity hurting. He said, she kept talking about God's grace being sufficient for her every need and how much that she had looked forward and seeing him soon. And he said, but I will tell you this. He said, I don't have that kind of faith. And the story goes on to say that the man died a bitter death. But the truth of the matter is this. The world is full of people just like that. And they see these circumstances and they question and they wonder why God doesn't walk on the water. Why God doesn't part the water. Why God doesn't do something majestically, miraculously in their circumstance. And many have turned away from God in their hour of suffering and pain. 
we're going to be talking about this in verse number 14. I want to read verse 15 in conjunction with it and we'll close. We're out of time for tonight. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. We're going to talk about these verses. I've given you several about healing. Write them down. Use them. They are great encouraging words to those who are suffering. I use them all the time and I have to look people in the face quite a bit whom God chooses to do something else for. And that just goes to show me how omnipotent God is, how all-powerful he is. And as we have said many times in this pulpit, the answer no is just as good as the answer yes from God. God can work instantly. Sometimes it may take him years. We just can't figure him out. But he knows what he's doing. He sees the end of the picture. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.